0: Why are the people that of this country that built this infrastructure, not the ones eating?
1: I'm Daniel and I'm Damon, and welcome to Climate Change Makers presented by Elevate Energy.
2: For 20 years now, Elevate Energy has been building equity through climate action by improving quality of life for underserved communities, by helping them save money, improve their environment and access opportunities in the workforce that will be a part of tackling climate change,
1: and we're here to celebrate. As they move into this next decade of their work, they've been looking to learn from their fellow community members who are equitably transforming the environmental legacy of their homes, neighborhoods, cities and futures. And over the last nine months or so, they brought the two of us in to help. Over the past five episodes, we've been talking to some of Illinois' most
2: impactful environmental justice visionaries, and the people can't get enough of it. They need us back. we got to do more. (laughs) We've been renewed. And we got at least three more conversations with folks who have been working to build a more equitable and sustainable world.
1: We're going to continue exploring what ideas guide their work, what strategies have been effective and what advice they have for Elevate Energy as the organization works to put people on the planet first in the fight to build equity through climate action. On this episode, we're talking with Ramon etc., a.k.a. Radius. Ramon is one of the co-founders of Love Fridge, a mutual aid project and network of refrigerators all over Chicago that are distributing food to those who want and need it with uh, pretty much zero strings attached.
2: It was great to talk to Ramon. He was a kindred spirit, and I really appreciated what he reveals about how so much of the work happens, uh, that so often the things that we value that are important in the world come from people just doing. Uh, So it's exciting to talk to him at this point of the journey of what's been going on with Love Fridge work in Chicago and other cities, uh, because he's still in the early stages, even though it's already been so
1: impactful. So you hear all about the project, hear about his relationship with food and community and spirituality and what he's learned being on different continents. And it's really a wonderful conversation. Uh, If you're looking for places to plug in to their work, either to contribute food, help clean out the fridges, support financially, uh, support farmers who are helping to stock these fridges, uh, you can find all that info in the show notes. Uh, But with that said, let's get to our conversation. Just like with all other episodes, we start our conversation with a two-part question. We asked him, in this time, this moment, how is the world treating him, and how is he treating the world?
0: The world is treating me very well, and I am treating the world very well simultaneously. I, I, I don't see a separate in it. I'm awake right now and grateful for the air that I'm breathing. Uh, and to be talking with you all in different parts of the world, I would say I would say it's, it's all good. If I don't think too hard about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so the follow-up question that we've been asking specifically for these climate change maker episodes is outside of the people part of the world the the rest of the world the plants the animals the air the earth the atmosphere the water uh how is that part of the world treating you and how are you treating that part of the world
0: that part of the world is treating me well as well because thankfully i'm able to access some of the resources i need that I can't obtain in person to sustain my liberty. So whether some of these herbs or plants or whatever are coming from another part, I'm thankful that they're able to reach me. And I'm doing what I I'm doing what I can to invest and pay it forward that these spaces get what they need so they can continue to do more.
2: We were chopping it up before we started recording and I'm already feeling some of the like the kindred spirit in in, in the mm-hmm. work and approach. Um and so I wanna start with the old game or segment. I I I have, you know, the love fridge. Um it's such just like a dope concept, such a, a beautiful activation I think of like the vision that so many of us have of what should be available. Uh, and so I'm really excited to hear the story about how that is activated and what lessons we can learn from this example. Uh, but I want to go to what I call your Bell Biv DeVoe moment. Um, <laughs> And so I'm going to explain it because I I like to know like when the magic strikes of when like things become real, when names come like hit you like that moment of strike of lightning when, when, you know, or in your example, when you first had a fridge idea and you're like, I'm going to actually do this. I call it Bell Biv DeVoe moment just to explain it because Bell Biv DeVoe. Are the lesser known members of New Edition, right? Let's, I'm sure you're a little bit older than me and remember. And so I just go to the moment of like, man, none of these solo joints were hidden. Uh, but then at one point <laughs> in the studio, they heard that poison bass line and was like, Oh my God, my life is going to be changed for the rest of the world. This is a moment right here. We're about to do this. This shit is real. Uh, <laughs> I call it I love moments it. where organizations have like uh, a a magic moment of of naming of ideation uh, that's starting to come to life. I call it your Bell Biv DeVoe moment
0: because Poison is one of the, the best hits of all time. <laughs> Same, true, truth, man. The Eureka moment, like with exactly. Like, oh, you know, and that can happen anywhere, man. It's a lot of times it happens in the shower. A lot of times mm-hmm. it happens on the toilet.
1: Just any, any tiled room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it, the time. It's so, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was already like through my social channels during the late spring. I was looking around for like spaces to invest, uh, whatever little thing I can, whatever finances I can, not little or small, just what I had in like black farmers, black women farmers, uh, food distributors in Chicago or Detroit or LA and I was I was, I was just saying, okay, I have I actually have a little money. I didn't have anything last year when I was moving around. I was like, okay, what can I throw a few bucks at? And then when I get to my home city, Chicago, get my hands in some soil or help out mm-hmm. with some hands. And then I started seeing uh, the fridge stuff popping up in my social feeds. And I was all, I'm in Brooklyn, Bushwick, and there was one like 15, 20 minutes away from me. And I was like, this is dope. I don't see it happening at home. And I went for a walk to the one of the ones, the one that was here, and I went to the store, grabbed some food, and stocked it, and, uh, and I started talking to them. And then uh, I was like, "Yeah, I got it. Like, How can I gotta make this happen at home? What's the deal?" You know, they gave me like the first contact. I feel like a little questionnaire just to get involved in a signal. But when I got back, I had like I think it was like a week before I went to Chicago. I was like, I got to do it. You know, it's, it's got to happen. I like to see thoughts become reality. I don't want to spend too much time, any especially anymore on the like, I wish I could do that or I wish we could yeah. do this. It's like, let's do it. I was getting a little mad about people, judging people about wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, doing all these things. And I was like, where are the solutions at? Like all y'all are just pointing at each other. I started putting pictures that I documented on Facebook of the fridges I saw firsthand and on my IG. And I was like, Who's going to help me do this? Like Mm. anybody out there want to do this? And I woke up the next day and I'm like, love, like it's, it's, I'm calling this a love fridge. I'm just super all in love, like with life period right now, regardless of the crazy shit, you know what I mean? So it was just only right that the most powerful magnetic force would be, love and food are synonymous. Mm. And it was just like, when I woke up that day, I'm like, all right, cool. I threw the Instagram up, threw the email up, you know, and yeah. within a couple of days of putting awareness out there before a name existed. So I hope I, hope I answered the question. You certainly did.
1: Yeah. So for those that aren't familiar with what was being built in New York and then that you brought here, what's the the short description when people are like, oh, what have you been up to that you give them?
0: Yeah, so um, these are mutual aid collectives, movements. And it didn't even start in New York. I got inspired by being in New York. There's communities in L.A. I think a lot of the rooted ones were in like Berlin m- many years back. UK, spots like that, community fridge movement, where you have 24-7 access to cold storage, to food, and you're diminishing food waste because farmers or other distributors that would normally throw this food out or didn't have another place to put it can take it directly and put it into a fridge. It's for anybody. It's not just for, you know, it's not it's no discrimination who eats or who leaves the food or, le- or who eats the food. They have access to this. You know, I I call it like a pyramid, an energy source you can go to. You don't got to wait for the food pantry to be open and wait in a long line. Or you don't got to wait for the the farmer's market is only over five hours. You you have 24-7 access to eat.
1: Yeah, I remember before you brought it here, my my family's in New York, and there was one that they saw in the Bronx near their house. Um, And it was like at the end of one of the subway lines, like at the last stop at the bottom, there was one. Hmm. And they, they described it to me. And there's something so – like like you were talking about, you, you don't have this kind of intermediary that gets to determine access and there's no gatekeeping. It's like this is an idea and it's also not hierarchical, right? There, right. there isn't someone in the middle saying we're taking this. It's not charity. It's redistribution between people and anyone who needs it can come get it. Um, and it, it, it feels so um, – so often these ideas that we have feel distant from what's able to happen in real time, mm-hmm. like the distance between ideal and reality, especially in this moment. Um, but it feels like this wonderful, tangible, impactful example of like, oh, here's a way to live these values in a way that actually reaches people right now. What have been some of the surprises or, or most joyous things that have, that have happened as a result of building this for you?
0: Surprises yeah. were, wow, just the momentum just how things caught on. You know, I, I'm i a person who goes and act. I've been nomadic, you know, like I go push my music and I'll take that leaf if I'm broke and go to that country. And I've never been part of something that expanded at so, such a fast rate, you know? And it's still, we're just over two months young and strong. And it's like all these people reaching out and want to do something. I've started a record label. I have a bunch of groups that I've co-started. Then I have this. These are all my babies. And then I've had to also learn how to detach my ego from a mutual aid and be like, okay, this is mine, but it's not mine. That was an interesting one initially because, you know, there's certain things I was like, oh man. But now it's like, okay, it's great. It's so great to have multiple people I don't even know to be able to communicate the way that we do and really, really see the universal big picture come into view. People want this, the community embracing each other. You know, this is all new. Many of our groups is all new. Uh, We have the solidarity on a grid system in multiple cities. You know, I'm out here building with some of the New York cats now. I've been able to bring some knowledge to them. You know, so it's just like really powerful to see this. And like we've had fridges break down. We see the community feel sad. You know, immediately, like, where's the fridge? We want to, we want to bring food, or we want to take food. You know, and 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 then we're we're trying to, we're, we've been working on construction to build these fridges to have a uh, shelter to be able to sustain the winter coming up. These are all growing pains that we're going to. This is a big experiment, and it's just like amazing on all spectrum. It's all the extremes to be getting Fox, WGN, WTTW coverage. All this I've never experience this. (laughs) So, so yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm super interested in in some of the like organizing dynamics you're starting to talk about, but I want to go back to something you named of, of what the impact is it's obvious in terms of the impact for consumption, right? Like ensuring food security and ensuring shelter and housing security, uh, I think mm-hmm. is the number one way to address and prevent and have response systems for violence and harm. Um, so, so there is like an obvious of that the, the less obvious issue. I think when you start talking about the production and the, the distribution, um, one like stat that I say that I probably should like double fact check, uh, is that like in our society, we throw away, and waste more food than it would take to end all of hunger in the United States. Talk to me a little bit more about this notion of waste and is the issue then, part of it, not just like, oh, we have too much on our plate and we throw it away, but that in the production, there's not enough infrastructure to to hold all the food. That's what I hear you saying, is that like offering this resource of refrigeration is actually addressing the ways in which our production is wasteful.
0: Right, because... For example, we're aligning with more farmers working towards having fridges on the farm.
1: Mm-hmm. We have some
0: We have some on the farm. Okay, wow. You know, because especially now, then you got churches too. So I'll, I'll put both of them, for example. Since they're not able to have that mass, to have that amount of people that they would have on a regular service or a farm, the amount of people they would have on a regular, more of that food they're getting is going to waste, you know, and there's only so many food drives you can you can do. Uh, so we're a bridge, and we're able to. And I've I've seen it when I was in Little Village, just going to go check out one of the fridges. When I was back home, I went to the fridge, I saw it was pretty empty, and one of the teammates and I were about to go get some some produce, and somebody else from a farm we didn't even know came up with bags and started putting them in there. Within five minutes, I saw people take food out put food in. It was like, it, and it was beautiful. You know, so like, we waste a lot and a lot of food companies that we've aligned with too, they'll make food for a certain amount of people and they'll have like 30, 50 meals left over because it's less people in certain spaces that would have been there. But now we have a space for them to bring their food, their food to. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And, and on the macro theme to what you were, what you were mentioning, so some of it is, Just the limitations, I think, of keeping food from going bad, but it's also about the systems are so rigid and so inflexible that the ability for something to pivot. So I think about early in the pandemic. There was all the, you know, it made the, it was their big news stories about all this food being thrown away because the food systems were siloed. So you had food that was distributed to restaurants and to other commercial spaces, being a completely separate industry from food that was distributed to supermarkets and other consumer goods. And the contracts were different and the trucking patterns were different. So because that food wasn't being bought by the restaurants, they weren't able to pivot that over. Um, and so that food went to waste. Similarly you know in in this instance if you have food that's made as a commodity you know for a supermarket or something like that if you can't get money for it very often the solution is not well then let's give it away for free because that then undermines it as a commodity right <laughs> the solution is let's get rid of it to keep supply down
0: especially in chicago where we have some of the most strict food laws mm. and a lot of food that's like so called expired is not expired that's going that's going to waste too
1: that's what you know, I've been telling my partner every time. She's like, I think this has gone bad. And I'm like, oh, no, it's got like two more weeks in it. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. That's just that's just me. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know
0: that those dates are that. It's a lot of people don't know. They haven't been educated on that. So they'll yeah. throw away a lot of food, you know? So
1: That's interesting. You mentioned the Chicago having very strict food. Loads. And I don't expect you, because I'm not an expert, I don't expect you to be also. But what have you learned about the, like, particularities of Chicago in this? Because I'm thinking about the stockyards and you know the the history of food industry in the city.
0: Hmm, I gotta study that more, but I do remember from, I've, I've worked a lot of restaurants in my life and I've done cafes like in addition to restaurants, like you know, I don't really want to shout them out, but I have worked with them. I'll bleep it. <laughs> I worked at Whole Foods, you know, I've worked in spaces like that. And just from being in other cities, I just, I mean, it's also good that we're strict on, 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 on certain things, you know, but just certain cities I see like being, I've lived in LA before too, just seeing certain things fly that you wouldn't see. Chicago was just like, I remember we would get in trouble with certain places if they knew that we took food from the restaurant to go give it away. You know, Chicago was really Mm -hmm. serious about that liability, but yeah, we, we, uh, in the beginnings of the love fridge we were researching a lot of that kind of stuff you know so we got the Good Samaritan Food Act which uh, Bill Clinton Newt Gingrich and them signed back in 96 you know that that, that basically encourages yeah
1: encourages like <laughs> for those of food. us who don't see <laughs> yeah. the Zoom
2: we're like Bill Clinton <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and then even to, yeah, I'm still, yeah. my nose wrinkled even more on a nude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't get
2: many yeah. nudie G's in here.
1: Gingy, <laughs> yeah. come on now.
0: Yeah, I know. I didn't want to really go into that. But yeah, that, that it's out there, you know, because a lot of people ask that question, you know, and, and we we try to help other spaces, hosts make their own decisions, how they want to go about things. We don't want to be fully responsible for that, but we do have that liability.
1: What What is that Good Samaritan Fula?
0: It encourages this type of thing. It basically holds us not liable if somebody is to come and take in there. We have our guidelines that we put on all the fridges, though. Like if you date, and put the contents. We try to encourage plant-based food over none. We, we do encourage eggs and milk. We try to do non-meat unless it's frozen, really, you mm-hmm. know. So it's just, it's also harder to clean that stuff up. And uh, we've had issues with that where people keep bringing meat to certain ones, especially to our flagship location, James who's got the first fridge, the love shack um, over there in Little Village. If we've got bold letters, no meat. People keep bringing this meat up and, you know, <laughs> it's like another reason why we do that is because of the food apartheid, you know, the, the, the food desert, which is a false term. There's discrimination in our communities. People aren't always accessing quality food. They're mostly getting chips and cigarettes and and. They're not really getting, you know, they're not really accessing the things we were talking about earlier when we put in our smoothies. They're not getting the hemp seed. They're not getting the the plant-based milks. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I'm curious for you personally, where were the sites or, or, or the people who who built your relationship with food and, and some of this knowledge, but also just some of this embodied knowledge of, you know, what this means to you besides just like sustenance? Because I can tell it's such a like emotional and spiritual process too.
0: Wow, high respect. That's a great question. And um, it's awesome to be seen as such. Uh this has been an ongoing journey, man. Like my foundation comes from my family. I would say my first roots of that would be my mother and my grandmother. They also taught me the, the beginning of my cooking, uh, just in general. Uh, we made a lot of food at home. And my grandmother was like the first one to like bringing in elements like turkey bacon and turkey sausage as opposed to just the pork and the beef and
2: turkey bacon was the the prototype for black wokeness like in the 90s early 2000s <laughs> the truth. Yep. before before that's- before could pull the vegan cart you know what I'm saying that that switch to turkey bacon was a real a real symbolic move in the household i was i was in a turkey bacon yep. household. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah oh you God, know that's hilarious It's it you know <laughs> yeah. those those are the, those are those roots and and the more I started to get more into hip hop, and then even in high school, I went to Kenwood, I was, I was immersed in more hip hop. And I had, a, I had a girlfriend at the time who was like, she was more veg. When I started dating her, I stopped eating pork. And then I started reading, like, I got a book a little bit later on slaughterhouses. And I started mm-hmm. reading about how the U.S. treats animals and workers, more importantly. I'm not saying more importantly, like, the workers and the animals synonymously.
1: But very often in conversations around meat production, we talk about the animals and we don't talk about. We the don't workers. talk about. So exactly. a lot of like, quote, good food work. And this is something that my partner's taught me a lot about. Like, this is quote, good food, but we're not talking about the conditions of the workers that are making that food. And that those are need to be interwoven for sure. Right.
0: So those doors started to unlock. From there, beef went out. I just started to get more plugins and more things. You know, I remember reading a book, Drugs Masquerading as Foods. By uh Suzar and uh I had my one of my first books was an encyclopedia of herbs. I started really getting into that in my late teens early twenties. just the journey kept going in there in spirituality, whether it had been me getting into uh taoism, even even the roots of the roots of Rastafar, and not even really claiming that or or I'm fully embraced that, but you know the things that you the things that you are and you become. You're already on that journey, you know, it's, 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 so I'm ITAL, but I was already like in a process of removing these things from my yeah. my space over a period of time. And so I would be interested to hear you connect
2: this personal journey that I hear you rooted in like relationships and spirituality, right? Like I hear, you know, grandma's going to shout out. I hear, you know, the high school girlfriend <laughs> get shout out. Um, and I would love to connect that to to the work that's been happening now this summer with love fridge. I heard that example of like seeing in real time uh, the cycle of, of things being received and things being given. But I imagine, cause I say food is the most powerful organizing tool. I imagine that there is some real community, being built or developed around this work that you were seeing and feeling um that's probably similar to your origin story in terms of how you started changing your thinking about the importance of food so yeah j- i would love to just hear you pull out some of the the community that the love fridge has been like at the center of or, or new relationships that are coming either for you or for other folks
0: yeah beautiful you know uh we we, we we've established some excellent partnerships and we've we've we built some good Zooms, Zoom meetings with other <laughs> other collectives, Just you know,
1: quality like, Zooms.
0: <laughs> yeah. Quality. You know, <laughs> like we've we we've really been a bridge. Uh, I, there's a there's a Elizabeth Morales who runs Feed the Crib, and she also has some fridges. But they stock, you know, we, we invest in her and she stocks at a great, great price. She stocks a lot of our fridges um, with with fresh farm to table produce. We got Grocery Run Club. They, they're, they're They're partnering with us in Little Village. They stock Moreno's Fridge and we invest more in them. We're partnering more with Thankful Chicago and Trap House Chicago and uh, Anton with uh, Grow Greater and uh, Chef Fresh. We try to big up and shout each other out and put each other in the conversation because a lot of people were already doing things before we were. But also, they were looking for core storage. You know, we got the Bronzeville uh, Mutual Aid, Mahoney Cosmos, part of that. Um, We're just really bringing each other together. But then our thing is just helping the layer infrastructure and the community getting involved as much as they can be. And we can fall back and just assist in that. We don't want to come in and be like, we're your savior. Here's this. We want to put the infrastructure and bring people together to know that they can this is a this is a constant energy of give and take, and we're here to support that and have you shake hands and and keep keep sustaining.
1: One one of the things that I often feel when I'm talking to people who do work around food, especially food systems work, especially the people who are doing it well, <laughs> uh, there is a spirit of rejecting hierarchy that I think is more ingrained than uh, in a lot of other types of organizing, even really good organizing that there, there tends to be some feeling of like here are decision makers here's you know it, it becomes siloed in different ways but there's something about people doing food work that there's this understanding of the importance of alliance and coalition and you know more flexible relationship and structure and things being able to move and that we you know we might have different group names but really we're just working together and they can slide like there's a flexibility there and I wonder, if any of that has to do with Dame, like you were saying, some of the the kind of organic experience of sharing food together. And when you're grounded in that, and it's grounded in that very kind of root experience and process... How are you gonna claim hierarchy over somebody you just ate together, you know? Or you, you just held the tomato together. You're not about to say you're better than them or you have more power than them.
2: And this this tomato will nourish our bodies more or less in the same way, right? So it also like yeah. shows the the base connection of our humanity.
0: Our roots, like, especially in the diaspora and indigenous. You know, I've, I've, I went to, I've been to Morocco last year and Ethiopia last year. And even when I was in Spain and Madrid and I was around a lot of Senegalese, everybody eats and everybody wants you to eat. Even if you already ate. <laughs> Even if <laughs> oh, I already ate. Right now, yeah. No, when I was in Ethiopia and they, you know, come eat, come eat. Morocco, come eat, come eat. If there's anything, it's sharing food. We can at least feed each other. That's a rooted thing I've noticed in my movements going around. This is, we're empowering each other and this is the way to be, you know, like who else is gonna do it? Yeah.
2: I, I- that that makes me think of you know, in in hearing you talk and looking at, at the website, uh, one of the things that I, I'm receiving from the work uh, is even more than like food sovereignty conversations. I'm seeing the highlight and the centering of mutual aid, uh, and I think once we look. You know, outside, and we look globally, um, and we look to, to the global South, or we look to the continent, or or throughout certain places in, in South America or the Pacific, right? Like we see some of these more indigenous rooted cultures that are that are are, are based in mutuality, So there really isn't the same need for mutual aid, but for us, you know, living, <laughs> they're
1: like, what do you mean? That's just yeah, life.
2: Yeah. We're just mutual. Yeah, <laughs> people need help. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, for for those of us who are who are existing in very um, let's call. Them like colonial or imperial spaces, needs being met are not part of the the guarantee, um, and there is this expectation of scarcity. Um, mutual aid has become really prevalent in in my work with the Let's Breathe Collective in the last few years. Didn't even know the word uh, uh, t- t- until way after we were doing it. Um, and, and for me, it's the vision of. <laughs> What we think society should be, or the state, right? So it's happening in these silos, or in these like you know ma- maroonage fugitive ways. Uh, but it it feels like for me, and I want to hear your vision. It feels like this is the the I use the word again, the prototype or the infrastructure. Of how we want society to be transformed and should be scaled up to like the norm as opposed to a cool project that we talk about on a podcast. And so I would love to hear your connection to mutual aid, how that like specifically shaped this project and how that shapes your vision of the world you want to see.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's heavy in such a great way because this is all new to me. Well, it's not new to me. It's hard for me to deal with these boxes and structures and and, and I'm learning all about this as it goes forward. You know, I never ever really knew about the word mutual aid. This is a natural liberty, you know, this is an I and I thing. I'm radius, I'm about to circle.
2: Mm. That's Oh man, you're talking about language.
0: <laughs> I was respect ra- I was raised this way, you know, mostly mostly by women too, and just like giving and like food is love, like I said, you know, and and, and I think that there should be no barrier within that. And uh like I said, this is so new to me. I never knew much of much about this outside of like I come from South Chicago, West Englewood, Ashburn, South Shore, multiple neighborhoods where i seen things. Why are the people that like of this country that built this infrastructure not the ones eating? It just never makes sense. Like the way, like you know, my grandmother and her and her and her mother would. Where the next wave of slaves, you know, they were the share crop, you know, they were doing this, you know, so it's like, why should we be the one starving? You know, I don't know. I, I, the mutual aid thing is something new to me. So I'm still new to understanding.
1: But so, so that language and that frame feels new, but the act of it feels like, like this is, this doesn't even need a name because this is what we do. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. In any, in, in, in any way. And like, I think right now, Especially since we've all been dealing with COVID and being locked down, way more people see that we're on the same level, quote unquote, to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, or at least connected, even if levels of power are different, right? It's still interwoven. Yeah,
0: exactly. Some people can more see it from the from that level. Like, okay, we're this, we're 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 all getting fucked here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
2: If nothing else. <laughs> 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 Who may be from different walks of life, different creeds and tongues,
0: but, different designs, but, different
1: but, cuisines. But there is
2: solidarity but here.
0: <laughs> so now more people are like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta do something now. Yeah. I, I got yeah. all these resources, and they've been waiting to do it." That's in everything. That's that's coming with the music, restaurant industry. You know, I I, I, I like I perform music, I host events. We don't want to rock in these venues no more.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think there's been actually specifically since you mentioned restaurants and having worked in there, that's one piece that I've just really observed, you know, basically since the uprising began. And and I think it has to do with the level of like instability in that industry right now where workers who are barely holding on working people have been really, you know, fucked over by these restaurants and the industry as a whole. But there has been a level of accountability that I didn't really ever see because, you know, workers were in such a precarious position. Um, but so many people are, are employed in that industry. And so seeing some of those working conditions called out uh, and some of the challenges to that. Um, and, and even just an analysis of like, why are we investing so much time and energy in a time where it's actually unsafe for people to be in restaurants? For that to be the thing that's prioritized over almost anything else mm-hmm. in the city. Like, you can't be at the lake, but you can be in a bar. Is like the sickness that like that's so backwards and so sick um it's such a like perfect emblematic understanding of the way we think about our relationship to food right like the work gets erased the the spaces are spaces of consumption and power where you can make someone put their life on the line because you want to eat a sandwich um (laughs) and, and and it's been cool to watch that be challenged and people say like If you're not going to give me the basic needs that I need to survive, like I'm not going to hold your secrets anymore. If you're mistreating us, we're going to let people know and you're going to get shut down. And there are lots of restaurants in Chicago that have closed partially because of COVID, but partially because the workers said, this is unacceptable. And people said, oh, I don't want to support this kind of behavior. So I'm curious for you in this kind of reconfiguration of what our relationship to food can even mean Mm. um, in that future imagining. So there's fridges everywhere. We got that down. what do you hope in ten twenty fifty years uh someone living on your block's relationship to food is where are they getting it? what are they eating? How are they thinking about it?
0: <laughs> wow that's heavy that's powerful man this is a, this is along the lines of a, of, a, of a of a of a some sort of a utopia quote unquote right because it's like i I would love people to be in tune with their environment and their surrounding. You can only be in tune with your environment and surrounding if you're in tune with yourself. It's just, it's a it's not a break in between that. That's that's mm-hmm. you know, if you're really in tune with yourself, you're gonna be in tune with, with your environment and you're gonna have a better understanding of what our ancestors, what we have inside of us. We know the land. We know plants and 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 I'm not opposed. If anybody wants to eat animals, do what they want to do, that's fine. I'm not judging. I feel a little judged. We are <laughs> you know <laughs> That felt, I didn't feel sincere. I felt like that was a virtue signal. I got you. I got you. I mean, yeah, we know the land. I believe that we should know more so what herbs, what fruits, vegetables, what things that grow on this earth, because we are the earth. We should have more understanding of this and less diabetes, less heart issues, blood pressure. Mm -hmm. That should be like on the low. In the next right. 10, 20, 30 years, because we have a better understanding of this infrastructure that we are we are born within. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I would like to see. That's why I feel like we, we, we could be going and more people eating because food is not supposed to be expensive. And more of us should be knowing how to prepare that food or having access to the food that doesn't even need to be prepared. that can still sustain us.
2: It's beautiful yeah. Fr- from that utopic vision i would like to uh try to fish and find a way if i can get mad at something Um uh, so let's get
1: mad let's get mad let's so,
0: get mad bro so
1: i, I will name <laughs> fish is still just so you know you can still eat
0: fish. <laughs> it depends on the person's level how they how they build with the item. okay okay because i mm-hmm. met some i met i met some rocks that eat meat
1: okay all right.
0: So it's, it all depends on that. But I'll the metaphor. There's space for
2: you, Dave. I'm, I'm going to yeah. go, I'm going to go foraging to, for something to get mad about. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this is a leading question. I'm just trying to see if, if, if this fits in your experience. Um, so you're doing something that makes perfect sense. That is very simple. Does not really need to be explained. That's why we're talking about all of the world because, like, set up places for people to get food, and then g- give the food, and then people eat. Right. Um. So it's, it's that simple. <laughs> it should be happening everywhere. <laughs> Um, I'm very grateful and proud of you, uh, but part of the anger that I'm leaning into is like, you should not be special, right? Like, this should not be a story. You're special for other reasons, right? But feeding people should not be out of the norm, but it is. And so I'm curious for you in a work that is so simple, is there any institutional norms or functions that create obstacles to something that is so basic, so easy to understand its value, but people pursuing the logics of capitalism or power in a traditional state sense getting in the way or infringing the ability for this work specifically of love fridge to grow what gets in the way of this very obvious work the u.s government <laughs> 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 <I knew>.
0: uh, <laughs> yeah that's what might be bad babylon just ba- babylon right i mean yo man i mean we shouldn't have to do this that's what i say we shouldn't have to do this should we be having food pantries and and, and and setting up fridges for people to eat? Like, do we really should we really be doing that when trillionaires? It really doesn't make any sense in any in any in any way at all like that. We are a mutual aid group helping to feed. Bro, I got an EBT card. I'm not working in a regular, regular work. A lot of people are on a team are working a lot of time and putting their energy into this and some people are putting more of their energy into this like living take the check. That's really a big one. That's, That's when the people
1: who ha- yeah. when the people who have less are the ones doing the giving and the people who have more are the ones doing the hoarding. It's like, well, Yeah,
2: and that feels like a place that we're at right now is that there is this consciousness waking up there there's a new awareness and 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 you know we are having better ideas and better desires and better demands but the thing you just named is i think what the first step is to like the real transformative changes that we want in all film uh, realms of justice because the people who show up because of these systems, don't have the capacity to organize the way that we be, right? Like, folks who are, who are dependent upon a check cannot create this mutual aid network that is 24-7 and fully f- fledged for our 77 or 150 or however many neighborhoods we want
1: to claim Chicago has. Um, right. And yet they do it so often, right? So often it is those people who are stretched so thin, who are doing the things to take care of each other. On a level like beyond what you could imagine, the amount of giving, um, but but Dame, to your point, it shouldn't have to be. It shouldn't
0: have to be. We, we <laughs> and it's relate. not
1: sustainable in that way. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the roots of this is an anarchy, you know. A lot of people like to give anarchy a bad rep because me, me, media gives it a bad rep, but the roots of this are anarchy, self empowerment, community empowerment. Like Prodigy say, real power is in the people in the streets, where everybody equal. Like that's us on a, on a on a ground level, realizing that everybody's one.
1: Yeah. So I want, I want to zoom back out for, uh, for one second. I'm curious about kind of what we were mentioning before about the, on the supplier end in mm-hmm. the distribution system, you mentioned some of this work with local farms and building those relationships. What have been some of the contradictions you've seen come from people in that position? And what are some of the ways, even if, Love Fridge hasn't been able to bridge that gap yet. Uh, some of the ways that we could better support people who are doing the growing locally so that we're not just taking food that you know was grown at a factory farm that's about to be thrown away and giving it away, but really creating some infrastructures that it's not just like the scraps that are left over that get given to people who don't have money.
0: Great question. Um, well, since we're just just over two months, we're learning a lot. And um, the main thing is finding more, op- like, like I was doing initially look around and invest directly in these farms, in these collectives. If they if they have special days that they're doing these box things or these giveaways, go in there and put your hand in the soil and help them help them to grow. Mm-hmm. Or 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 go help them distribute. Or or if they got a crowdfund, don't go to the store, don't go to don't go to the supermarket. Go to them and get the produce. Like put money in their hands. Mm-hmm. And you know, as we go forward, we're doing things like partnering more and given highlights in our, we, we highlight our partnerships and, and we, we like do certain days we want to don't get people to donate that want to donate to us. Either we'll do it directly to them or we'll highlight them. And you say donate to them because we wouldn't exist without any of us. You know, this is all one, one thing. So I think that to answer you, that's like the best thing to do, like search for these and, and build and sustain a sustainable relationship.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. And maybe in in the show notes for this episode, uh, we'll put some some Chicago-based uh, urban farms, especially Black, Brown, Indigenous-run farms, uh, so that people who want to contribute can do that.
0: There's a lot, man, and they're, and, and uh, they're in some some neighborhoods you wouldn't even think, you know, like uh, South Chicago, um, Urban Girls Collective. Then uh, you have you have Chef Fresh, I mentioned earlier, she's in she's over there in South Shore and South Chicago, and you know uh, Anton is isn't got a bunch of stuff going on in Inglewood. So there's a lot. Uh yeah. yeah and
1: I think to that to that point, um, as we as we wind down, for folks who are curious, one about supporting the work, but also where the fridges are, what's the best way for people to to find that info? Our
0: our most active movement is on Instagram. So you can go to Instagram.com slash the Chicago. And also on our website, thelovefridge.com, we have a we have a map on there. I, I would estimate by the end of the month, I would estimate we will be 16, between 16 and 18 fridges.
2: And so that's on the Instagram. Is What's the process for folks who want to collaborate or bring a fridge somewhere or invest in a fridge? Is that something that is easy to, to initiate?
0: So, yeah, if you go to our Instagram, uh, I mentioned Instagram, Instagram.com slash the love fridge Chicago, we have a link tree link in our profile there. You can find out how to be a volunteer with us. That's helping us to maintain and clean fridges. And then if you communicate with us through our email, the Love Fridge Chicago at Gmail or in the IG, if you want to get further involved, a little deeper with us, we can we can we can we can work with that, too. As far as uh, everything is volunteering, donation based. The fridges have all been we we are the middleman. We go grab that joint, take it directly to the location or we take it and store it we move it to the, another location. What has cost the most is probably is, is our is our construction, which is new. We're aiming to get each fridge a shelter. That's where our money, our main. Now, I, I believe I believe, I believe, I think the rate. I believe it's somewhere between one hundred to one hundred and fifty. That's probably the main.
1: And then, Dame, I have one last question. Do you have anything? Yeah, else you I want do too. To and I'm feeling
2: like it might be your last question, so you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. All right.
1: So you know this this episode is part of the series that we're doing uh with Elevate Energy and and we've been asking all the guests who do a variety of work but there is you know definitely some some through lines and some commonality in terms of uh the way that this is grounded in community and in grounded in reciprocation rather than top down we, we've been asking them for an organization like Elevate Energy, which is, you know, does really important, meaningful work in this environmental justice movement, is a pretty large scale nonprofit, you know, and, and has its, just like all of us, has its contradictions as well as the things it does beautifully. What advice would you give or guidance would you give to help them do what they do better? That was definitely my question. Can I add some sauce in it just for fun?
2: Throw a so I, I am reiterating a exactly what he's saying. So this is nothing to do. But the, the idea, you know, I think we've become more and more aware of our audience and the audience of, of this series. Uh, and so what we can assume is that we're preaching to the choir a little bit, particularly if folks are staying with us towards the end of the episode and, and have got to this point of the conversation. Uh, mm. And so preaching to the choir is important. That's something Miriam Kaba has told us. It's just true. But you can give a challenging sermon. However, and so, <laughs> what I've offered is like, these are the folks that are with it, but but from the pulpit a little bit, uh, to excuse the over-Christian uh, metaphor, uh, uh, but from, from the pulpit, let's challenge the choir to where we can go and where we can grow and be
0: better. I think more just looking deep within and seeing what we got, what resources we got, or also being transparent on what we need. Push the ego down a little bit and just... Come in and, and have more conversation with each other, and say, "Here's what we can do for you. Here's what we need." And then the other way around, like really be in, in a circle and 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 come come to a common common ground and see like what what other one can do because we we can't all do it, going into the resources and 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 putting them in place because we need it now more than ever, all of us. You know, so. mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. What I take from that, it 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 resonates with like experiences we've had as we've tried to you know make this thing we've been doing more and more formal. And we find ourselves in rooms with people that we're working with that, that are institutions, right? That have way more power. When I hear you say like you know say what you need and what you have to offer, one of the things that I see when you're in these conversations where there's asymmetric power uh, is that oftentimes uh, the more powerful entity it's not in their advantage to name what their full interests are and also what they have available. Right. So I think that feels like a good lesson from what I heard from you is say what you actually want, right? Like if, if, if you were coming to engage a fridge or a farm or, uh, uh, organizing space right like um what is what do you get out of this why are you interested in this in a way that's a little bit more i think honest or sincere uh and then also i think a thing that happens a lot is that there's this very like business-like negotiation around resources and resource offering kind of coming to the table like holding your hand on what you have available and therefore offering less than is needed um, can, can happen much more easily with like this lack of, I guess, transparency is what I'm saying for folks.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. Power. Because we, because we're so used to the the corporate capital. We're so used to that infrastructure. Like that's so, that's so the wave when it's not on everything. <laughs> and it's like, so we, even, even amongst us in our group, we've had, we've had to figure out certain ways to navigate, not knowing each other and how to get, you know, on a level and build, you know, so, and just, figure out what we want and what we need and and, and how to how to see what because it's big the big picture is everything It's all beyond us and that's what we're working towards so I just I, I just want to thank, say thank you all and thank elevate you know for I definitely want to come up with some some ways and solutions to uh, have this be more efficient whether it be solar energy for fridges because
1: you're, you're you're powering fridges yeah I forgot yeah I
0: know really want to figure out that a ways for that and then I just want to shout the team out, you know. The love, for, I'm really just really really grateful to be here. And uh, you know, even though I found this and and there were some core ideas, and I put the call out and got things started with with my initial good friends that reached out to me, Lisa Armstrong, who is an amazing designer, visual designer, and has done most of our design. Uh, Manny, aka Eric Von uh, Haynes, who does uh, Flatlands Press, Charlotte Cohn is on our website, and just really great at organizing and balancing certain things in our in our in our conversations in our meetings and Ash Godfrey I don't know everybody's last name but Steph and Molly and I just You know everybody's first name no,
2: that's that's the accomplishment. <laughs> yeah
0: y'all. that's I,
1: better than a lot of...
0: <laughs> they're just uh, James, you know just just I'm just Kate, it's just powerful, you know, Mika and just it wouldn't be where it's sat without anybody. So just respect for having having me here and represent for that for the team.
1: Shout out to the squad of Love Fridge and shout out to Ramon for chopping it up with us. Really, really beautiful conversation.
2: I think, you know, one of the things he continues to articulate his work is done collectively. So shout out to the team making Love Fridge possible in Chicago and other cities, uh, but also all the other collectives doing urban agriculture and farming work and food sustainability work in our city and world.
1: Like we mentioned earlier, you can find all kinds of information about Love Fridge, mutual aid networks, local black and brown farmers to support in the show notes. Uh, also make sure that you subscribe, review, and rate Climate Change Makers in your podcast app. Uh, you can also find Ergo, our regular weekly show, A I R G O, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure that you give us some love over there too. Um, we'll be back with two more episodes over the next couple months with some great guests. We're back, baby! Aha! Uh-huh. All right, Dave, you ready to get out of here?
2: <laughs> Let's go! Much love to the people.
1: Peace.